Hello and welcome to the Last Train Leaving Belgium podcast. I am your host, Anne-Marie Cannon. Last Train Leaving Belgium is a Belgium Rabbit production. It is a supplement to the soon-to-be-released documentary of the same name. Keep up to date with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find us at www.lasttrainleavingbelgium.com. We are an independent, ad-free podcast, but if you'd like to support the show, why not buy us a cup of coffee? You can do that through Ko-fi, links provided on episode notes as well as on our website. Now, Colette is the oldest child in our family. She was born in France in 1953, where our father, a member of the U.S. Air Force, was stationed at the time, and where he met our mother. My sister has been an entrepreneur since her mid-twenties, and for the last 20 years of my mother's life, she worked for my sister's company. Coletta brings a unique perspective to this narrative, in part because of that. To find out more about my sister, check out our episode notes. Coletta shares with us her unique relationship with Trez, and we get to compare notes about our mother through our individual perspectives and experiences with her. Coletta Perry, welcome and thank you for being here. Well, thank you. It's good to be here, Anne-Marie. Let's start out with how do you know Trez? Same way you know her. She's my mother. Yes, that is true. I know that's a silly question, but um, so you, one of the things that I should say is that you were the only child that was conceived and born in France. And uh, I'm always curious about whether you feel more French because I I feel, I never really felt connected to my Frenchness probably until I started doing this project. So does that give you, I don't know what that looks like, but does does that give you more of a connection to that uh, culture? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I I have crazy little stories going throughout my life, but yes, I I heavily identify um, with the the French, you know, our mother's heritage. I didn't know this, but I always, for all of my life until probably 10 years ago, I always thought your name Coletta was a French name because I think of Colette and it was actually not. And what's the origin of your name? Well, I think that's up for debate. I don't think I ever got a straight answer. I mean, you know, mom said, well, dad named you. I like to tell it that, well, you know, it's like Colette, but you know, with dad being Irish, all of the girls' names have to have an ah on the end of it. And so that's the story I tell. So it's actually an Irish name. I never knew that. Yeah, and you know, and actually it is, because when I was um, in high school, I went to an all-girls um, Catholic high school, Magnificat, where our father's older cousins were nuns. And in my class, we had a Mary Coletta uh, Berry, and um, soon it was, a, it was an Irish family. And I've not often run into people with this name, and more commonly, if it's a last name, it's an Italian last name. Coletta. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I, I know a number of um, last name Colettas, and they are all Italian. So it's it's quite interesting. <laughs> so I'll put in the I'll put in the bio, 
bio that you're the oldest and I'll talk about where you fall in the family tree or when you were mm -hmm. born. And that would have been 1953 in case you. 1953, well, that'll be in the bio. Okay. So we're the bookends. You and I are the bookends. That's right. I'm, I, I'm 1963, I'm the youngest, you're the oldest, you're 1953. Yep. So I think of us as the bookends. Did you, were, have you thought about what you want to say about mom? You know, today, actually, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about some stuff I was thinking about today. Our mom had gotten a bad rap from a lot of us growing up. You know, we felt that she was mean, that she was uncaring, you know, that sort of thing. And I think you and I had a conversation a few weeks ago where as part of this pandemic, and I was supposed to have been in France and and visiting the Normandy beaches for the first time, and I wasn't able to go. And so I ended up watching the um, World War II um, series that's running on Netflix right now. And it, it, it really helped connect me with a much better understanding. I think you and I both um, saw some footage from, you saw the original in black and white of a, of a little girl um, with her family walking, walking, walking. And I think both of us, when we saw that, could, could see our mother um, from, the, from what stories we know. And so I started thinking about the stoicism and of other people that I know. I have a good friend whose mother was German and um, had a really, really horrible time during the war. She would have been, she was about the age of our mother. And she had a really bad rap too. And and I think, you know, I, I think the stoicism and the just not even acknowledging hardships or when things are tough is a way of keeping it at bay and keeping on going day after day. And surviving. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's probably an aspect that none of us really appreciated well, we can say appreciate it, understood. You know, we didn't really understand where that was coming from. And then, you know, she left She left her home, her country. When she was a young woman, she was 21. She had a baby, you know, under her arm, uh, traveling to America, leaving her family behind, being left with a family she didn't know while our father finished out in the Korean War. Uh, and she had a baby in her belly, so she was. That's right. That's right. And so, and so, our other sister is 11 months younger than I, and she was born. Um, and I have finally, as you and I have been looking at things and reading letters after her passing and looking at pictures, I finally come to understand some of those pictures and realize that our father was still on active duty, and they were still living with his aunt Rose, his mother's sister and her German husband, Nicholas Schweiker, which was really tough on our mother. And, wow, you know, I never even thought about that before. I never thought about that. He was German, yeah, very German. Very, and she, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, I wish I knew more about that dynamic from mom's perspective. Well, you know, I can tell you some stories, but, you know, we'll see where, you know, we'll see where that, where that goes. But, you know, to kind of come back to the point, she was, she, they came over on the boat in the summer when she was already pregnant and had 
a, a six-month-old baby. And, you know, back in the day, that was, a, I think that was a 10-day, you know, seven to 10-day trip. And it was on, you know, a military uh, vessel. It took a long, it was a long journey from where they were in France to, I think it's, I'm going to mispronounce it, uh, Bremerhammer, where the, the, um, the ship that they took um, to come home. And so, I mean, there's some really sweet, there was, I know there was one letter where our mother wrote about her first Thanksgiving over here. And I don't know, I think you have it. If not, I'll To her sure. family? Was she wrote back to her family? No. Well, I, it was, I think it was a letter to our father. Oh, I have read that one, yeah. And she got the whole thing about the dress and they yeah, really loved each other. And they wrote really, they really loved each other. And they, I, they wrote beautiful letters. Mom was a good writer. She wrote some beautiful letters. In considering that, that English was her second language, yeah. then she, she was doing a really, really good job. And, you know, I think none of us, by the time we were older, really could understand that history. And it goes back to, you know, the one picture you and I have talked about where it's at it's at St. Nicholas, not Christmas. She's writing in her in her handwriting on the back of the picture that says St. Nicholas, not Christmas, the last good one before the war. And she wrote it in French. And so there's this little girl, and there's a doll on the table, and her brother must have uh, okay, yeah. and there's other gifts. And that is so that's so poignant. And mm -hmm. if you take that image and then you take that picture that both of us um, identified of the little girl with yeah. the families trudging with what they could carry. Yeah. And, and, and if you want to remember, they were in Dinan, and they, because of World War One, everyone thought that if they could get past Paris, because certainly the Germans wouldn't get all the way to Paris, they weren't able to do it in the First World War. They didn't think they would do it in the Second World War. Little did they know. So they went all the way from Dinan in in um, Belgium, and that first trip took them to La Roche uh, uh, sur Fion, which was on the Atlantic coast in France. And it was a long journey, and it had to have taken multiple days, and none of us had really and gotten my my understanding of it is they didn't even know where they were going to end up. They were just on the train. They were trying to get out of, and they end up in La Roche sur Yon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just to kind of reiterate what you're talking about uh, in the documentary, I cannot tell the story of what happened to mom in World War II unless we reflect back on what had happened in World War One. And so in World War One, they called it the, the rape of Belgium. And um, it was a brutal invasion. They killed a lot of civilians. It was, um, and our own family, our ancestors were massacred uh, by the Germans. And that, that story, that legend, that was in the psyche of our family, especially in our mother. So when World War II breaks out, oh my God, the Germans are coming again. I mean, that just activated all that post-traumatic uh, fair from 25 years earlier, basically. Yeah, but our, our mother was eight years old, living with her, her grandmother. Mm -hmm. and both you and I have been with our mother when she visited that place um, where, her, where her grandmother lived and the um, memorial mm -hmm. to the people who lost their lives 
um, in in that uh, viaduct under the um, the train tracks that were just right. basically in the side yards. Well, and that's and that's the the caveat of all caveats is the fact that oh my God, mom's eight years old, and where is she living? She's living with her grandmother right in front of the uh, site of the aqueduct massacre from World War One. Mm -hmm. So that yeah, that's a good point. You know, and I know I I went with mom on her first trip back to Belgium, which interestingly was, was the December after 9-11 because the airfare was very affordable. And so I was able to get her to go to Belgium. And it was the first time she was back. So this is 2001. And it's only a couple months after 9-11 and the, mm -hmm. the whole were rained down on us then and and god knows what that triggered for her and i just remember how haunted she was like in a trance and unfortunately it was the first time i had a video camera and the batteries went so what year I, was that what year was it so we can put well, it in well, that's the 9-11 so it was yeah, december right. like this it was about december 15th 2001 right yeah the technology wasn't where it was when i went well, back there with her in 2012. Yeah. yeah it was the very first time i had a, a video camera david had gotten one and i but i will always i will always remember and you know i wish that i could have shared that experience and i know that you you saw it a number of years later but she had already been back a couple of mm -hmm. times and so i think so you know i think it's like all these these little things and and the project that you're doing has caused me to reflect you know so I, i'm i'm trying to put my own story to put my pieces into it to see how i can can help illuminate her story you know as, as you know and in, in my bio um, in the introduction that she and i worked together for 20 years our father died in 1993 i moved to pittsburgh in 94 and she came to live in Pittsburgh in 95. She was in her early 60s at that time and really needed to do a little work. So I took my own personal consulting um, freelance business and ramped it up so that she could work with me. And we worked together for 20 years. So I had a, an experience of our mother that was different and more intense than I think any of us to have lived with her for our for my first 18 years and then for a middle 20 years or so being so far away from the family mm -hmm. and then really being so close with her for the next 20 years. So what was that like for you and how did that help to illuminate? Cause you're talking about, you know, you wanna help to illuminate her story cause she was very tough. I mean, there's there are those two things, you know, the, the perspective of a child being raised by a woman who was stoic and what that does to you. And I had to deal with that in therapy for a, lo <clears throat> a long time, you know, and then I got sober. Actually, today's my 19 year anniversary. Oh, I got so Thanks. I got sober 19 years ago. And part of, you know, that process was unraveling all of my resentment and bitterness towards the way that I was raised and trying, you know, not trying to, but eventually coming to understand where she was coming from, why she was the person that she was, and the beauty of her being a survivor of a lot of different things, including the war, 
and trying to, you know, see, put a different light on it. And I remember reading a while back that you can't change the past, but I think you can change the past and you change the past by shining the light on all the different aspects of it, which I think talking to you guys is going to be really cool because we all have a different perspective. None of our perspectives are wrong. <clears throat> there are perspectives. And I think that that gives a fuller, more richness to uh, this narrative of who our mother was. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. But I, I want to go back. I, everything that you said is that we all have our experiences and our perspectives. And by looking at all of them, it helps to put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah. And if you can look at the very same thing from different angles and it looks entirely different. We had to take her her accumulation yeah. of those 85 years, um, dig it out of the detritus in her basement, and now I most of it's residing in my basement. <laughs> and it's given us, you know, pause and we when all of us get together and we tell stories and I love that. We don't get a chance because the six of us are spread around so much, but I've learned so much because I hear each of our siblings' stories and experiences, you know, and look, she was really hard, I mean, to work with. <laughs> and I mean, I can remember one time where we had an employee assistance program. So she at that time was, was our finance person. And we were having such a a tough time, I told her that the condition of continued employment in my company was that she would avail herself of the employee assistance unit and get her act straightened out. So, you know. I'm sure that went over like a lead balloon. Well, she did it because she was, what was she, pragmatic beyond anything else. And she knew that I held those cards. Mm -hmm. You know, it was really hard to come to that point. And, you know, we had a couple of years, there were, so she has some really good good friends, um, you know, Laverne and, and Kay and, and, and those that she made here. And Laverne particularly because Laverne and I are, are nearly the same age and Laverne worked in our company for a while. And we had this thing going. There had been such a bad fallout between we, mom and I are just so strong-willed that we really reached an impasse. And, you know, how many years later, I would have to really think about what the hell it was about. But I just... You know, I didn't have really much more than the time of day. And so we used to joke is that, you know, okay, well, this year, Laverne, you're the good daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was it was tough on me. I didn't have all the, you know, I didn't have all the answers. I mean, it's, you know, as she's gone and I reflect on the experiences, the good ones and the bad ones, and on the things that we've been able to uncover and it helps, and, and the project that you're doing, and finally, um, digitizing all of, of that old footage. Mm -hmm. It starts to put a whole different picture together, a whole different puzzle. And, you know, so I come back to that, that stoic, stoicism and the pragmatism. And the thing about that, um, you talked about how hard it was on you, and I think about the fact that your friends, all of our friends, I don't think that when we were growing up, we had any friends who had a similar experience. Mm, that's I don't a good think point. we had any friends whose one of their parents wasn't a born U.S. citizen, mm -hmm. uh, experienced war, 
that left their family in another country. I mean, there are a lot of people out there, but most of our friends were at least second and third generation. Mm -hmm. Yep. So our experience didn't match our friend's experience. And I said, I, and I think that that's how we measured how, as we were going through it, how horrid we thought the strictness was or the dismissal of our little pains that were horrendous when we were going through. Yeah. You know? They were life or death. And she that's one of the things that she had. She just dismissed them like nothing. And her story was always, you know, you should have gone through the war. <laughs> you know, this is nothing compared to going through the war. And right. so I think we probably all grew up with a resentment about her, you know, war stories that she never really even told us. Right. Well, and I remember, well, I don't know, it was towards the end of her life, maybe the last two years of her life, I was visiting you guys in Pittsburgh. And I remember I was standing in her foyer there. I don't know, it wasn't really a foyer, but it was kind of her dining room, entryway to the living room. Entryway, you know, there was that. <laughs> yeah. But I remember I was standing there, we were, I was getting ready to walk out the door. I don't know if she was coming with me, but she looked at me and it was a complete non sequitur and I had to really think about it for a second. She goes, I just never had a frame of reference for the abundance that you had in your life. And I was like, well, certainly she's not talking about my childhood, but she was. And that moment was epiphanal for me because it was the first time she, it was her way of apologizing it was her way of saying i know that i was tough mm -hmm. and this is why and that was the best i was ever going to get out of her but it's funny because so for so many years i was working you know trying to work it all out and make her see make them see what they did and this is completely after I processed all this stuff, I knew exactly what she was saying was true because I had figured it out earlier. But that moment, and she looked so vulnerable when she said that. Yeah. And it was like she, I think it was, you know, and probably because of maybe you're working with her and you're, you know, pretty much putting her hand to the fire and saying, you know, you're going to have to take advantage of this, whatever. But she did have some epiphanies at the end of her life that she was able to talk about and address. And that was one moment that I will never forget for as long as I live. But, and, and, and that's, that's important to have those, but you were, you had it because of all the work and the journey that you were on and you mm -hmm. were a mature adult that was, you know, as we talk about really working past your mother issues mm -hmm. and you were able to hear it for what it was, what she meant because you could have if hearing i never appreciated the abundance you had in your life i mean that could be such a slap down mm -hmm. you know i it, it, it's it's because of where where you were in the moment that you understood that like you said that that was the best she could you know she could do and you know and and i think that as we've been talking to kind of circle back around is we only had our friends and our friends' lives to compare. And so that's mm -hmm. I think where, and we all know as we grow up, that as we've grown up and matured, that, you know, there lies our peril is comparing ourselves to others. But we don't know that as we're growing up. That's a good point. I never thought about that either, about 
I know as I've gotten older and I've met more people, uh, I I do connect to people who have been raised by someone from even just from Europe, mm-hmm. you know, first generation, uh, first generation. Yeah. And I do connect to, you know, there are my, they're my people. They're my people because we understand each other in a way that, you know, the kids that we went to grade school with probably didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the other things I remember too, growing up is out, we didn't have any extended family and all my friends had extended family. Mm-hmm. And yes. I, our father was a late in life only child and I alluded to his older cousins they were older than him by at least a generation and they were two two women two sisters that entered the convent and so there were and, and there were a couple of other brothers late in life marriages for other you could do a whole documentary on, on Bernard I think and Claire <laughs> and the grandmother. Um, so our, our father didn't didn't have any family beyond Sister Amada and Sister Conception. And um, I never perceived, I just realized this, I've never thought of Sister Amada and Sister Conception yes. as my cousins or, you know, as, as second cousins or whatever they would have been, first cousins yeah. once removed. But it never even occurred to me that they would be that close. Because and those two sisters were like 20 years apart. Were they? I yes. didn't know that. Because Sister Conception, in the year that she had her golden jubilee, 50 years, uh, Sister Amada had her 25th. I mean, very close, within a year or two. And that's mm-hmm. the only, in, yeah. It's, you know, when, da- when dad was, was a kid, Sister Conception was already a principal of a grade school. Wow. Yeah. So looping back, uh, and then mom's family, tell us about mom's family, why well, you know, we, yeah, we do have well, first cousins. To finish it off, to come back around, it was, there was the, the, there were three aunts, three sisters. Our father lost his mother when he was eight. So he had his own issues. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, dads didn't raise their sons. So there were three, there were three, um, three sisters, three aunts. And by the time we were little, um, our grandfather was in a nursing home. Uh, One of the sisters was in a nursing home. Our dad's mother had had passed away when he was eight years old. And so you're right, there just really wasn't anybody. It was- And then our our French relatives, of course, we had no contact with really. Almost none. It was um, an idea that was out there that we knew existed, but right. And, and our, our grandparents came over. I think maybe a total of three or four times. There were, you know, from the time I was little to the time of our parents' 25th anniversary. So, and there were a couple times that it was just our grandmother, and a couple times when it was just our grandfather. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so it was exotic, but not anything that, you know, you think about as, you know, grandparents. So we had these exotic family that we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then later in life, our parents lost, they lost, mom lost total control, contact with her family for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Do you know why that happened? Do you want me to tell you? 
Yeah. I mean, do you okay. want me to turn off the recorder or? Well, no, no, no. I mean, you pick it. You'll pick and choose. Okay. 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 So, and, and this is a very interesting thing. I, and it is probably pertinent because the war um, broke families apart and it broke the thread of families apart. I mean, you know, in, in your story, you know that mom's mom didn't want to leave Belgium mm -hmm. because her mother wouldn't leave. Mm -hmm. And they finally did. And that's where you get the last train because mm -hmm. they literally made it on the last train. And then, as we know, the grandmother went back. And I believe, so our mother had two brothers, uh, one who's five years older, Alphonse, and five years younger. And Alphonse, I believe, went back with our great-grandmother. And he spent the war in Belgium, hmm. or a good part of it. But the other thing is, is you notice that the story is absent our grandfather, because our grandfather was a French national. Mm -hmm. Even though he was born in Belgium, his father or mother, one of his parents, so, so he was a French national. So he had already gone back to France and was in the military. So he was gone. And so the damages that were done over the course of all those years, I think left people and our family at that point really scarred. And if you think that our mother was critical or tough, her mother was worse. Yeah. Much, much worse. And at the end of the day, um, what really happened was there was a horrible fight the last time that they visited, and that was on the occasion of our parents' 25th anniversary. So about so, what year would that have been? Would have been, okay, 53 to 78. Okay. That. So you were still pretty young. Um, and I wasn't around because I think it happened either when we were in New York or I've only heard stories of it. I was with them when it happened and I remember, you know, I remember their, oh. Right, but the other book. thing is, is, is as, as I have read and I look at correspondence that I kept up with them mm -hmm. during that time and after that time, they were, both of her parents were extremely critical and, dis and, and disapproved of her decision to marry our father, come over here, and have this whole castle of kids. And um, that, that really came through in their correspondence. And I think that that really hurt our mother mm -hmm. tremendously. And so it was about the time that um, our father retired from the police force. And remember, they moved up to um, Vermont. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that they had they had been out of touch for a few for some time then because that would have been a few years later, um, quite a number of years. Mm -hmm. So I had a um, our grandmother died that year, and I had a letter from the older brother Alphonse to tell me about it because the correspondence wasn't getting through to them and they because they wrote to the to the house address and mail was was being slow um mm -hmm. and, you know reaching them so so they didn't really know about it 
that time. So, you know, it's just the, and, 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 and you know, beyond that, I now that we've gotten to know our our French family, we found, I found out that our grandmother could never um, be at peace with both of her sons at the same time. And she really constantly played them against each other. Oh, I didn't know that. Horrible stories about it. We're going to stop there for today, but be sure to join us next time for part two of my interview with my sister Coletta. Remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest news about Last Train Leaving Belgium, the podcast, as well as the documentary on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for joining us and have a great week.